Entertainment Podcast. I'm Andrew Southwick. Today, joined once again by Nathaniel Talbot, Allure Executive, COO, if you if you will, CTO. I guess that, what is T? Is that like treasury or something? Technology. Technology. See, I got no idea, man. But anyway, I'm glad that the technology is here. I'm glad the operating officer, Nathaniel Talbot, one and the same is here. Today, we're going to ask the question, what influences Christian media? What influences Christian creators, for example? We see a lot of genre things, and we do. We we And we've talked about it on prior episodes, how we will take influences from culture, from Hollywood, and, and, and try to incorporate that, whether it's production quality or storytelling technique or whatever, into the work and the stories that we tell. But what do we see as the chief influence, the chief influences in Christian media, Christian film? And is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it indifferent? I don't know. We're going to dig into all that with Nathaniel Talbot. So why don't we get started? Uh, Nathaniel, to kick off, if you're going to look at a 30,000 foot view at Christian entertainment right now, lore notwithstanding, what, what do you think is influencing the, the Christian media output? Like, what do you see? Like, like, well, um, let me even rephrase. So for example, I'll use music in this analogy. So I can hear like take Michael Jackson. You can hear obviously seventies Motown cause he was with the Jackson five. So you can hear those influences in his production, but in the seventies Motown, you can hear the sixties Motown and the sixties Motown. You can hear fifties rock and R and B and you can go back and back and back. So just for a 30,000 foot view, what, is influencing the output of Christian media that you see as common themes, things that we may be doing consciously or subconsciously when we're telling our stories in front of the camera. So um, this might, I don't know, this may or may not surprise people, but I think the number, the number one influence on Christian media today um, is the church um, straight up and the church's view of various um, aspects of culture, the church's view of what its mission is and what by extension, the mission of the individual believer is. So, um, currently in society, uh, we have in our country, I'm just going to mostly, uh, talk about the U S because that's where most of the Christian media that, um, is being produced that I know of is being, uh, is coming out of. So, um, the, the church sits at the center of all of culture. Um, the word culture has, uh, as its base word, the word cult, um, which we have a very negative view of. Um, and, and when we talk about a cult, obviously that would be a non-Trinitarian heretical sect, but, uh, cult really just has to do with worship, the, the underlying root word there. So culture is always based around worship. Um, what we worship is what comes out in all of our various cultural expressions, what we believe about worship, what we believe about the one that we're worshiping, um, uh, whether that be the one true triune God or whether that be uh, false gods or whether that be ourselves, those things will always flow out into our culture. So if you want to look at the most fundamental impact on Christian media, you need to look back at what the church is teaching people about um, God, about uh, 
how they ought to live, about what's important in their lives, et cetera. Because all of that then flows out and becomes obvious in, um, in their media. A, a good example of this would be, um, we have had, I mean, one of the biggest influences from a church perspective on our current media output is the second great awakening in the U S which was a highly revivalistic, uh, individually centered, uh, conversion focused, um, uh, uh, revival in us history. And out of that, um, if we just want to talk about music for a minute out of that, we get a lot of the, the gospel songs that are extremely sort of me and Jesus. And that over time morphs into Jesus is my boyfriend songs and a lot of that, the, the reason that that didn't get corrected is around the same time, the church stopped actually singing the Psalms. So the Psalms are supposed to actually teach us what poetry is, what it's for, how we ought to use it in worshiping God in our general lives. And yet when the church completely sets aside Psalm singing and, um, and instead adopts these individualistic um, emotional, emotional songs that then flows out. And then when Christians are producing other media outside of just uh, worship music, you see the exact same emotionalism at the church and individualism that is, is inside the church. You see that flowing out into uh, the music that Christians create in the world. Do, do you think then, so for example, again, you, you, you talk about music and, and, you know, so I instantly think of, especially when, when you, when church music begins to change from objective to subjective, which I think is the part of it. Now, I do think there's a place for subjective and I think there's a place for objective. I think both can be strong and both can be problematic depending on how far down the line they go and, and really what is the center or focus of the, the story that you're telling in that song, the worship story that you're telling in that song. But so would it be then be fair to say in your estimation that as the church, and you can look at even the church, the, the, the history of the church in terms of its cultural perception in, over the past decades, 50, 60 years, that that has been influencing then what we're putting out, almost like we are doing two things as Christians. One, we're, we are make, we're telling stories based on, how we've been taught because our theology is going to come out in that and that we are taught a theology uh, from a variety of sources, but one of those is the church. So one is the stuff coming out that's been put in, but the other, and I think we can really see this in the Jesus movement of the seventies is the, the counterculture as almost a, a, a rebuttal. I mean, you know, I, I know the, the worship wars of the eighties, nineties and early two thousands where you had, I mean, you know, you had within church, and we still kind of do to a, to a, a, some extent today, but you had churches arguing, you know, just even about music, which worship music is better and what's this and what's that. And so now we're, we're, we're on a mission to prove how right we are in our conclusion and we're using entertainment to do that. Is that, is that a fair assessment? And, and is that, where is that good and bad? At some point there's, there's probably some good in those arguments but, you know, when do we cross the line to when it becomes now we're, we're becoming accidental Pharisees or we're just putting out things that more reflect our opinion on theology more than what theology actually is? 
So I want to um, start off my answer by laying out uh, this basic fundamental concept we have um, in how we um, engage with different choices and decisions that we have to make in life. And that is that um, there are things that are of sort of direct command. So um, we are, uh, we have the 10 commandments and they give us direct commands. And so we ought not to be going out and making movies um, that glorify adultery or glorify and, and, and say, this is good to murder, et cetera. But then there's a whole swath of the choices that we have to make in life um, about what we're creating, what we're consuming that are of wisdom and the, the wisdom books we know in scripture are uh, you know, uh, Proverbs immediately jumps to mind. Uh, Psalms is a wisdom book. Um, poetry is actually supposed to teach us wisdom. Uh, Ecclesiastes is wisdom books. And so, um, we want like hard and fast rules, but that's not what we get. But what's, what's important with wisdom decisions is you have to figure out what is actually going to form you towards making a wise decision in a particular situation. And so when you get down to something like the worship wars, um, which I was younger during that period, but I definitely remember, you know, going to this church and now we don't like the music there or hearing about this church over here. That's running a traditional service and a contemporary service. And, uh, you know, nobody can make up their mind, but, why was the church struggling with that so much? Not just struggling with the actual decision itself, but even struggling with being able to have um, solid brotherly discussions about what would be the best thing to do for a particular church in a particular situation. Why is it struggling? Why? Because the people are not being formed by wisdom. When it comes to music and when it comes to entertainment, one of the most important formative uh, things that we have in scripture is the Psalms. The Psalms are supposed to teach us, uh, uh, grow us in wisdom, grow us in understanding. You were talking about subjective versus objective. There are subjective things in the Psalms. David is constantly talking about how he feels. He's mm -hmm. crying out to God, um, you know, around different situations that are happening in his life. And then he's always turning back to an objective reality about who God is and who his promises are, et cetera. We, we, we're not, I, I'm not a psalm, psalmody only kind of a guy, right? I have tons of hymns that I enjoy and there's all kinds of secular music that is great to listen to, but the Psalms by singing them, they're supposed to form us towards wisdom, just like reading the Proverbs forms us towards wisdom. So we can make good choices in marriage, in uh, business, in all these different situations we run into our life, whether or not to go into debt, um, uh, uh, there's so much that Proverbs, we understand Proverbs forms us towards wisdom, but we, we've missed the fact that the Psalms are actually supposed to form us towards culture making and what is good culture and what is bad culture? What is good music? What is bad music? Um, you've got repetition in the Psalms. You've got, uh, for his mercy endureth forever, you know, but how, how frequently does that, uh, feature in Psalms? Not very frequently. That's not how the poetry works there. That should teach us something. There's probably a place for some repetitive Psalms, songs, but seven 11, the seven 11, uh, format for a Christian song is not, it should not be, uh, our primary go-to and what we're, what we're seeing every time. Um, David says some things that make us uncomfortable about God. He talks to God in some ways that make us uncomfortable, but he, um, 
that's always, that's always tempered by the fact that then he talks to God in very respectful ways. He's constantly turning back to him and praise, et cetera. So all this to say that we're supposed to be formed in the church. We're supposed to be formed by God's word. The whole worship service is actually supposed to form us around being wise people who can then go out and create culture. And the culture that we learn inside the church should then be informing. It will, regardless of what we're learning in the church, whatever that is, whether it be Robert Jeffries, like crazy, uh, you know, uh, uh, patriotic explosion grossness in, in his worship service, or um, whether it be something dry and stuffy and salted that, you know, nobody under the age of 60 has any interest in being there. And the people over 60 are only there because they've been there the whole life, like wherever, whatever it is that you're learning, if you're learning that church is dry and stuffy, then absolutely you're going to go out and you're going to present a Christianity you're even just going to present the world to some extent as being dry and stuffy, or you're going to present the world over here as being interesting and the church and what is what Christianity is being stuffy and stilted. So we need to be formed in the church. Um, and that is inevitably, it's not a, whether you'll be formed in the church as a Christian, and then that will affect what, uh, you produce on the media side. It's what, what you'll be formed towards because you will always be formed towards, and it will always impact what you make. So here's a question then have Christian movies been cheesy because the church has been cheesy. Isn't that a question that answers itself? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because again, I mean, cheesy is also kind of a subjective uh, analysis, right? I mean, one person's cheese yeah. is another person's gourmet. Right. So, right. And, and, and there's the tension between when it comes to media, because media is meant to be consumed. It's meant to be for an audience. So there is something to say about, this has to get past the the filters of obstacles so that it will reach the intended audience, whatever those filters are. At the same time, when we're talking about if it's going to be Christian entertainment, and I, that just as an aside, it's always such a weird thing for me to say Christian music because people are Christian. Music is not it. You know, like you, Jesus didn't die for a song or a movie; he died for people. So it's hard for me to call inanimate things Christian, but. We speak in genres, so for lack of a better term. But when you're when you're making a, you know, like like Lore, we have all we have all kinds of projects coming up, and we've already seen, you know, many people are excited about the projects that are and the productions that are happening, and they're they're putting their loot behind them and so on, which is fantastic. But you also have some that say, hey, that's you know, inappropriate or that's that you shouldn't do that or, or what, what, you know, barely biblical. Why do you, why do you have to highlight the violence? Aren't you just, aren't you just repackaging the violence in, you know, in, in bears and, and just making cartoon violence and why do you need that? But then, but then the response to that is, well, or at least from Christian media so far has been, okay, I don't want to upset that wing of the Christian party. I also want to try to get the, wing of the Christian party that will spend money on this and that kind of thing. So we're going to try to please both of them. And in so doing, none of it's going to be pleased. Now we've had conversations on the show with various guests about how a lot of that is the Christian, the, 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 the production companies and their thumbs on the scale when it comes to the product that actually makes it to the consumer. Oftentimes, well, every time the script does not start out the way you see it 
on on screen for better or worse. And there are many influences and many hands and many, many cooks in that kitchen. That's just how filmmaking is done. That's how television is done. There's no way really to get around it. Lure is a a a unicorn in that sense. And then there is not that much is particularly the, the suits and the executives going over the script and saying, do this, don't do this, make sure you put in this line and cast this person and so on and so forth. But we, you know, it, but the ending product has been ultimately cheesy. I think that is the word that would describe our attempt at entertainment over the past 40 years is cheesy. And, you, you know, we can talk about the stories and why, but is that more a reflection of of the theology we've been presenting as the church universal. And how do we, how, how do we break that chain too? That's a double barreled question, but because you're talking about church universal, at least in America and the, the, the perception of God and who he is and what will please him and that kind of thing is hard to, those traditions are hard to break. And sometimes we think things please God that don't sometimes we think what we're doing pleases God and it doesn't. And anyway, there, there's so much to that, but, but yeah, first is, is, are, are we cheesy because the church is cheesy? And if that's, and how do we break that cycle? Uh, I mean, yes, we are definitely cheesy because the church is cheesy. Um, first of all, to back up just a second, what you were saying about Christian movies, Christian media, I agree. I don't like that either. I would prefer to think in terms of movies and media created by Christians, right? right? So, because I, I do think there is a distinction between sacred, um, uh, you know, it, I want to, I want to use these words in the older senses, but sacred and secular music, right? There's, there's folk songs, there's love songs, there's all these kinds of things. They're good um, in so far as they're in line with uh, biblical truth, but they're, they're good and they're glorious. They don't have to be something that you would sing in church, right? So we would right. make that distinction to say, this is, this is sacred and this is secular, but we don't, it's not a, it's not a Christian music versus not Christian music or a Christian movie versus non-Christian movie divide, or at least it shouldn't be. So your distinction on, on sacred secular, just quickly, if I'm hearing you right, is sacred traditional, more older definition being that's what you use in church, secular being used outside of church, irrespective of whether or not it glorifies God, it could glorify yes. God, but it's for use but it's not necessarily for use in the corporate worship setting is so that's, that's right. sacred and secular, correct? Yeah. That's, that's okay. the way I think of them. I mean, you can have a good love song that is really good, glorifies God, but would be completely inappropriate in a worship service. Cause that's not where we like that. That's not worse. We don't, we don't sing to our honey in, in church. Right. Um, that's a different. You know, I, I just, I just read the song of Solomon, which is an absolute love song. It is R and B it's Diana Ross and Lionel Richie singing endless love and great song glorifies God. Great book glorifies God. He put it in his word. But not, I mean, you would preach it in church, but you wouldn't sing endless love in church, even though endless love could, if it's the right context of marital love, that can glorify God. Am I, yeah. I mean, okay. All right. Yes. Ahead, continue. Um, the, there is actually one of the Psalms that is a love song. It's about the King and um, that one might be appropriate to sing in church, but that's because it's allegory. It, it's, Mm -hmm. clearly and strongly and obviously allegorical. Um, 
Anyhow, so back to, yes, our media is cheesy because the church is cheesy. How do we actually change that? Um, I mean, the church needs to stop being cheesy. Like that, that is basically fundamentally, if you want better Christian media, that's going to flow out of churches that are worshiping God as God has commanded us to. Um, I'll recommend to all of our viewers a book called The Lord's Service by a pastor named Jeff Myers. He goes through, he walks through the covenantal uh, uh, renewal process that we see repeated over and over in the Bible and then shows how the, uh, a fairly traditional structure to the worship service um, actually uh, uh, matches up with that covenant renewal process. So God actually did give us uh, ideas that we have to prudentially apply, not just ideas. God gave us clear guidelines for how we ought to worship him. And then we have to figure out how to prudentially apply them in our uh, own setup. But you actually reference uh, theology and, you know, our theology coming out. But I would actually say the more important act is uh, the more important thing for what we're talking about, which is media, is our art. Our art is flowing out. The art in the church is flowing out. And what we think about art and what uh, the way that we view it, uh, what it does, whether it's important, all of that's flowing out into the media that Christians are producing. Um, and it's also flowing into the fact that outside of a small minority of Christians, um, the majority of the media that they end up consuming is not from other Christians. It's from the world. Why? Because the world actually often has a, a, a much more um, accurate view of the importance of art the world thinks that art is important because it is really, really important. The church generally does not. I mean, I, most of our churches meet in, in metal boxes, um, you know, ugly church buildings. Uh, well, you, you, I mean, can look mega churches, you can look at Genesis one and two and see God using art. He created artistically. And you look at every, all of creation is artistic. We look at a beautiful sunrise or a landscape or whatever you like to look at. And it is art. The, you know, for, I mean, everything God created is art. And then Jesus uses art to teach his truths by speaking in parables in the gospels. And he understands exactly what he's saying and why he's saying it who he's saying it to and using that same creative medium that created the world that he also Imago day gave us a little bit of as well, not ex nihilo for, for us, but that is creation being able to create from nothing, but to be creative at all and to be able to yeah. express in artistic at all. It's part of our image of God. And you're right. We do. We poo poo that I you, coming up as a, as a, as a music pastor, you, I can tell you that, music pastors have so much pressure. I mean, pastors do, but, but we don't, we don't have enough compassion for our music leaders, no matter what genre of music your church plays. I don't really care about that, but we don't have enough compassion for them because they have the pastor's expectations and the staff's expectations. And then they have every single different sect and group and faction in the church, all evaluating them, evaluating at, at the whole time. And they're trying I give them the benefit of the doubt because I, I was one trying to do something that will help people enter, enter in and, and will be a, a, a can be, a, can be an authentic expression of, of the worship of God. But whenever they try to do something with excellence, 
We call it performance and tell them never do it again. But Solomon didn't build the temple out of refrigerator boxes, you know, and, and, and duct tape. He used the finest materials and built the temple with excellence. And part of that was reflection of God. And I know part of that probably was his own pride and, and hubris, everything else. And we have a mixture of that. And there's no escaping that we're human beings. None of us have motives that are pure as a driven snow. I don't care what you say. Some of our motives are good. Some of them are bad. And we just have to trust that we're going the right way following God. But we do, we, we are artistic expressions, especially when they're excellent. It seems like so many times the church doesn't want that because we're afraid all of a sudden we're performing and we're not worshiping. And I think that has really hung us up. I completely cut you off, but you, uh, you brought so many things to mind there. Continue with whatever it is you want to talk about to add to the end of that. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean I shouldn't have. You're the guest. Right. It's right. too late now. No, it's I mean, too late now. <laughs> it's too late. Um, the, what, one of the things that's going on with art in the church is that we've swallowed hook, line, and sinker the postmodern view that art exists for itself. Um, but that's not true. Art, uh, art does things. Art uh, has use. Good art um, not only is aligned with the truth of God's world, but it actually, um, it actually acts in the world. It actually has uh, effects. And so because we don't think that um, art actually does anything or matters, we don't then value it. Um, a good example for me, I mean, you just probably going to trigger a lot of people, but here's the thing. When the church gathers together in corporate worship, um, there, there could be a place for special music, which is individual musicians or a small group of, of, um, more on the pro end, although in churches, we both know that it's the more pro amateurs, uh, doing some special music. But when the church is singing together, the music, the art, the, 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 um, songs, particularly the, the actual music itself, not thinking of the words so much, although those are important too, but the, the music itself needs to actually be conducive to congregational singing. The people need to be able to sing it. It needs to be something that is optimized for a, for, for the army of God to sing as they, as they march into God's presence. Um, and so the, a lot of modern, um, Christian worship music, while it may be fun to listen to, enjoyable to listen to, um, maybe good for special music, et cetera, it's atrocious for your normal range of, of um, guy off the street, gal off the street to sing as a group. And further than that, the church puts almost zero emphasis uh, on actually teaching people to sing. So most people are kind of standing there like mumbling at most um, because there's been no instruction. We don't sing because the church stops singing and focusing on the corporate worship and corporate singing, the, our culture has become a non-singing individual performance culture. And so people don't sing in groups. Uh, they don't get together with family and sing and make music, et cetera. It's much more put in your AirPods and listen to music on your own. So all that to say, like, I'm just, I'm trying to like draw this picture of like what the church does affects the art that's made. It affects how we, um, how we interact with all that. And so, yes, our art, our, the art made by Christians is cheesy because the church is cheesy. Um, another place where this really comes into focus is the conversion focus. Mm -hmm. Our American churches 
the gospel is really important. The gospel ought to be preached. Men ought to be evangelized. Um, and, and people ought to be drawn into the church. Non-believers ought to be drawn into the church, uh, baptized, discipled, made part of the body. But that is not the totality of religion. That is not, and I like, it's not even, again, the, the altar call comes out of the second great awakening in America's history. It's not a historic church practice and you do not need a salvation, uh, come to Jesus in every single church worship service, but that is what the majority of churches in the U S do. And so that is what the majority of Christians making movies, uh, at all targeted towards a Christian audience. That is what they put. And that is what their movies have to be about every single one that they make. And Christians, the, the audience, the consumers then judge the movies on whether or not they have the correct altar call conversion. Uh, you know, if the gospel's presented, et cetera. And we lose the, the fact that like, I mean, a lot of Christians would say, Hey, some of the best Christian literature written, you know, in recent history is, is, uh, you know, CS Lewis and Tolkien. And how many altar calls do you see in either one of those guys works? Like that is not what they're about. They're about telling an amazing story about whole swaths of what it means to live in the world. And it turns out that Christianity has a lot to say, and we ought to be saying a lot more about how we live in the world. Once we get saved, um, how we raise our families, what it, um, how we, um, how we show up at work, like all of these other things. And if we were preaching a more full orbed counsel of God to the people of God, the people of God would then go out and make media. that was more than just a come to Jesus. Um, well, you, you, you have, you bring to mind a couple, I don't know if these are questions or hypotheses or theories or whatever, but number one, that we have been, conditioned by practice and by a lack of teaching to this end, not just in church, but in our small groups, in our homes and in, in our own, I mean, you know, how many, if you would, if you, I bet you could go to most churches in America and ask how many of you have issues in making Bible reading a daily part of your life? How many of you have issues in making prayer a daily part of your life? And you'll get 80% hands raised for sure. And, you know, a couple of those who aren't are lying, you know what I mean? So you, you'll have that uh, in over and over again. So that also means that we're not spending time with God to get to know him and to know his voice and be able to weigh what's true and what's not. But it seems like we have been, condi- we've conditioned ourselves and us as congregations to want to be judges. So in that sense, we created a community of social influencers before social media influencing was cool. We, so we were cutting edge in that regard, right? Because we're judging our sermons and we want influence over those. We're judging our music and we want influence over that. Even though God has not put us, most of us, in the position of responsibility and limited authority to make those decisions based on here's what we need to sing, here's what we should be teaching about. God didn't, if, you, if you're not in that pulpit, uh, uh, you know, or on the, if you're not on the pastoral staff leading that service, God didn't ask you to put it together. That's a big part of the humility we never teach. But anyway, we, we, we want to be judges, not joiners. Right. And then you, so that's one part of it. And you can take this part A, part B, if you like. The other part that I thought of was Christian filmmaking, really Christian artistic expression 
all of it is a form of worship. I mean, can you imagine if we would, if we would think to ourselves, if we would understand filmmaking, television as a part of uh, truly a part of worship, corporate worship that we can do together. You, you talk about how corporate singing is important and we've let that go for various reasons and okay, fine. And some of those reasons are legitimate. Some of them are whining too. So I can't sing it. Well, you can, you don't want to, but so, you know, there's always a mixed bag there, but right. The, the, the music that we sing in worship is to be an experience altogether. The films that we make are to be an experience altogether. And just like the music, the films can talk about God objective. They can talk about the subject of me and God. They can talk about the, you know, I mean, 70% of the Psalms are laments anyway, how much life sucks. And so you can, and, and there are relationships and there are times of strife and there are times of triumph and all these things, everything can be reflected in both music and film. And so I wonder War if movies. part of our, and then there's war. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming after me. Look out for Absalom. Right. So, and there's, and there's betrayal, right? I mean, uh, the, uh, um, come on, son. Uh, I'm thinking of, uh, Bathsheba and I want to say it's like 53 yeah. or something, or 58 was written right. Right. That was his, David's response. So yeah. that was, Oh, that sucked. And so, but we've got that too. And that, and we've got that in film. So, one of the ways maybe we could get out of some of the cheese and maybe get back to a little bit closer to what God intends for us when he gives us these abilities and these talents to, to tell his stories in these ways is seeing it as an opportunity for corporate worship, just as much as the first 20 minutes of a church service. So yeah, so those are two disconnected thoughts, but a couple of things maybe comment on here as we get close to wrapping on this episode. But one, we created social, social influencing, and imported that and we all want to be influencers but that's not a place but then that creates its own pressures and problems and then two should our mindset change and should we even look you know lower business model i get it is something different and the pitch decks are something different and all that because we're talking to these people but in broad sense this is an opportunity to display all these different expressions of the worship of god and to be able to share it in a way that's communicable to christians and non-christians alike just like music so, um, first of all, on the influencer thing, I go back to, again, the second great awakening and its drive to make the individual the center of Christianity, the center of religious experience. And so it's not surprising then. Um, also, I'll note that in the second great awakening, one of the big, big things that happened, there were legitimate issues in sort of the institutional churches, but the people that came in and, and were running the revivals were like, well, we're just going to forget the church. We're done with that. We're going to go out here and you're going to come out to see so-and-so who's a really big name and you're going to come out to revival and it's going to be really awesome. And it's going to be so much better than that church over there that you've been going to your whole life. So um, this spirit, and of course we all kind of know that rugged individualist as this American ideal. And that too, by the way, comes from the church and comes from the, uh, the second great awakening largely and the attitude that came out of that. But we have this individualistic sense, but the funny thing about that individualistic me and Jesus thing, 
I guess it's probably because it doesn't actually work and it's not how we're actually wired. And it's not how any of this is supposed to be. We end up like, you can't actually stay there. You end up latching onto, um, these celebrities. And so that happens over and over again. Um, we are supposed to have leaders. So you can end up with in an overreaction where you're like, no leader, like nobody, uh, no leaders at all. But really what most of us should be looking at is who are our local leaders? You know, I mean, obviously children should be looking to their parents. Um, I like the most important leaders in my life are, um, the other elders in my, in our church and, uh, uh, our pastor and associate pastor who bring the word. Um, and then some of the different folks in our denomination that are in different leadership positions. Those are the leaders that are important to me because they're the ones that actually have direct impact. And then there are other people that I follow and interact with their ideas, but they're they, like, they don't have the same authority to speak into my life. Why is that? Because I'm well situated amongst a group uh, uh, in an actual hierarchy that is real and legitimate has real say in my life. So, hmm. so I like that. That's what I'd say there. As far as the worship thing, I like to be really um, draw a real distinction. Um, I think what you're describing as Christians go out from the corporate worship of God and they go out into the world and they create and they enjoy things together. I wouldn't describe that as worship per se. Um, there's certainly ways that you could draw that analogy, um, or, or maybe even call that, but we're so individualistic again. I want to be really careful about these sort of, I can go off and worship by myself. I can listen to worship music by myself in my car. And that's as good as like hanging out with the saints, um, and entering into the presence of God with the saints on Sunday. No, it's not. Um, Worship is corporate worship that we do on Sunday mornings when, uh, or on Sunday when we gather together in corporate worship with the other saints. It's the whole service. It's not just the first 20 minutes. It's the whole service. Yes, listening to the word preached is also part of our duty of worship. Um, again, worship is like, if you look at roots there, we're talking about obeisance. We're talking about um, sort of presenting ourselves to the uh, king of Kings it, because he's called us into his presence. But what we do is we go from that place where we worship God and we go out into the world and we create glory. Like, um, and then eventually at the end of the week, we'll bring that glory back into the worship of God and we'll present it back to him as we thank him for the things that he's done for us. And as we uh, present our tithes and, and offerings to him, etc. So, um, all of it, everything that we go out and do is, is glory. Like we're, we're creating glory. We're multiplying glory. We're bringing glory to God in everything that we do. Um, and of course we know the, one of the, probably one of the best known Sunday school verses, you know, uh, in everything that you do, um, do all to the glory of God. So, um, it all ought to be, um, glory that we're creating and then we ought to bring it back in. So, to wrap up, let me give you my simplest possible prescription for completely changing for the better um, media output, uh, media output from Christians. I'll just give you one simple thing um, that if we started doing it, I think it would completely and absolutely revolutionize every church. If every church in the U S um, or maybe just your local church if you would just, there's a bunch of different resources for this. If you would just find the Psalms 
set to music as close as you can get to the words, but there are a lot of really good adaptions, um, uh, poetic adaptions that rhyme and, 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 and feel like normal music to us. Go and find one of those. And just every week, just uh, as part of your normal worship service, sing one of those. Just make it one of the things in rotation. In three years, you will get through all of the songs and you will have sung every single one of these, um, these poems that God has given us to teach us wisdom in the area of what is good art, what is good media. And that will reform our churches and it will reform our people to actually um, begin to make um, media that honors and glorifies God. Um, so that, I know it sounds really simple. It's like, come on, man, like, can, you know, can it really matter that much? But man, I, I have been so, I've been in a church that sings the Psalms at least one every week for 12 years, 12 or 13 years now. And it is completely, I can tell you, it's completely reformed to me. It has completely changed the way that I think about um, art, that I think about um, the world, that I see the, the, the way that I see my interaction with uh, the church, my presence in it, how the church and myself ought to interact with the world. It, it's completely, completely life-changing. And I say that as someone who grew up in the church who read through the Psalms multiple times, but it was completely, it, it changed everything when I started singing those Psalms in the context of the church with my brothers and sisters in a congregational uh, setting. It, it just, it's just different. So that would be my, that would be my, if, if I was going to wave a magic wand and say, what's one simple, actually implementable thing that we could do uh, to change Christian media, that would be it. And, you know, you're not, uh, what do they say? You're not whistling Dixie. Oh, my gosh. I'm a thousand years old. But Lure, Lure, I'm also going through puberty, but Lure has the Psalter coming up, which yep. is an anthology series all about every single psalm. And, in fact, I just finished an interview with Cody Halford, and it'll be It'll be debuting at some point here, or maybe it already has by the time this episode airs. But Cody Halford, the creator of the, of the Psalter, and we talked about that that very thing in in our interview was just the the beauty of the Psalms, the importance of the Psalms, and 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 how they do lend how they are artistic expressions of the truth, the nature, the love of God, and life following Him, and and relationship, and everything else. And so it's all there. So not only are you bringing Yes, here's something that will help it in general, but you're also talking about something that Lure is already actively a part of in doing by by distributing and helping to support the Psalter. And you can see at the bottom of the screen, the ticker at the bottom, subscribe today, lure.tv, L-O-O-R.tv. Check out the Psalter. Put some loot towards there. I know right now on Lure, if you're in on any of the Lure social media circles, Barely Biblical is still burning up the charts and everybody's, and it's the cool thing. The latest thing is barely biblical, and I'm not putting that down. That's fantastic. Yes, do it, but don't forget programs like the Psalter as well. Uh, Black Rose Ballad is in there, and uh, they're just—I mean—too many for me to list off. But since we were talking about Psalms, it instantly made me think of the Psalter, and how that's exactly what Cody Halford's trying to do, and that's exactly what Lure is a platform to be able to promote and support. And so we don't just get on here and talk about these things and say, "Hey, you guys do them." Uh, we're, we're doing the things that we're talking about to make a, a positive difference for the kingdom of God, but also in, in our world and with how these 
projects and how this media and how these stories get told every single day. Nathaniel, I'll give you the last word. I just want to read a passage of scripture here because people, um, you know, my friends out there following us along here, they may be like, ah, you know, I think, I think the church just follows the world. You know, I think, uh, uh, we, the church is primarily influenced by the world. The world is not influenced by the church. Um, so I just want to read a passage here real quick from Ezekiel chapter 47. I know Ezekiel was one of those books that when I would do my yearly Bible reading growing up, I would always kind of dread getting to it. Um, as I've gotten older, it's actually become one of my favorites. Um, uh, as you start to understand biblical typology, there's a lot here, but in Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel's being led around by an angel in a vision of uh, the temple. And it says, then he, that's the angel brought me, that would be Ezekiel back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the East for the front of the temple faced East. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, South of the altar. He brought me out by way of the North gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces East. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. So as this river is going along, this is my aside, as this river is going along, it's actually it's flowing out of the temple, out of God's temple, and it keeps getting deeper the further out that it goes. Um, and again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000. It was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. Then when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. To be the fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Inenglaim. They will they will be places for spreading their nets. The fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. So, um, oh, let's see, a few more verses. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be over, uh, given over to salt along the banks of the river. On this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. So this is um, Ezekiel's vision that the angel gives him of the water flowing out of the temple of God and healing the, the world. The corollary, though, is that if that water flowing from the temple, which is church in this uh, in, in our current um, in, in, in after Christ, that's this is the church. So um, if the headwaters are polluted, will not the land downstream be polluted? But the water always flows out of the temple and it flows out to the world. And ultimately, and um, the way that it ought to be is that it ought to be for healing for the nations as those trees grow along the banks. And so um, there, there is actual biblical warrant for this view that the church is the reason the Christian media sucks. Uh, the church is the reason that we watch Disney and we, and it, it's a real problem. So anyhow, that's my final word. Final word, a little bit of fighting words there, but maybe some words we need to hear. Uh, for Nathaniel Talbot, I'm Andrew Southwick. Thank you for being a part of this episode of the Lore Entertainment Podcast. 
Let us know what you think in the comments. And as you share this episode around, what, why do you think Christian movies are cheesy? And what is the biggest influence over Christian media and entertainment? Is Nathaniel right? Is it the church? Has it been the church all along? Or is there another influence maybe that we have missed? Let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. And once one more time, this has been the Lure Entertainment Podcast. Thank you for giving us some of your time. And we'll see you next time.